Welcome to another episode of the No Money But Dreams uh, podcast. Today we have a very uh, special guest, Lulu Khazen, uh, who has her own podcast, which is one of the most successful podcasts uh, in the Middle East uh, by now, English speaking. And uh, I'm really looking forward to dive into a number of different topics around entrepreneurship, investing, startups here in the region, and get your view in um, yeah, what is a really interesting time. Uh, obviously, we're in a, in a down market, and it's, it's much more challenging than if we had this chat two years ago. So why don't you give us a little bit of a background into um, who you are and um, How you how you got to today? Sure. Um, so I've been I've been in Dubai for 20 years. I'm originally from Lebanon. I started my career here. I did six years in corporate. Then I left and I went into the startup world. So this is back in 2009. Initially, I worked in a startup like a boutique startup advisory firm, and then I launched my own company, which is Nabish, uh, which was the first and largest online freelance marketplace in the region. Um, grew that company over eight years, and uh, we sold the company in 2020. Uh, in 2019, I started investing in startups uh, with a few friends. That group became a 200 investor network called Spade Ventures, where we invest in early stage tech startups in MENA, half a million, two million dollar checks. Uh, and I also have a podcast, Conversations with Lulu, Uh, where I interview startup founders, tech leaders, business leaders uh, from the region. And we talk about their insights and their learnings. And uh, it's, it's a way to give back um, some of the learnings I've accumulated over the past 20-year uh, journey here. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that was uh, you have clearly done your elevator pitch a, a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years <laughs> in, the in, short in a minute. Form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's uh, delve a little bit into... You know, I, I think there's so much that can come out of this, especially let, let's start with your entrepreneurial uh, journey. Um, how did you decide to, to kind of go from corporate into doing your own thing? And what was that switch mm. like? I mean, it was a number of years ago now mm. that you started it. If you remember uh, yeah. back then. Of course, I remember it was easy. There was a global recession. It was the uh, global financial crisis in 2008. And I lost my job like a lot of people. So so. I didn't really need to think about it a lot. It just uh, it just came to me on a plate, you know. So uh, end of 2008, it was the time when I thought, uh, you know, it's trying to find a job is, is not the thing for me. I wanted to create my own job. And, uh, you know, serendipity makes it that you end up meeting people who are on a similar path, path and similar journey. And this is how I met Salam, who was uh, running the, uh, the startup advisory firm. Uh, and I worked with her for a couple of years. So, uh, so, I yeah, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't a hard decision. Let's put it this way: it wasn't that I had a fantastic job and uh, and I was growing and 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 being extremely fulfilled and financially rewarded. It wasn't the case. So, it was a relatively easy decision for me. You had little to lose. Back exactly, then. exactly, yes. actually. And now, looking back at uh, the time, what were kind of the things that? Um, you really learned from that experience that stick with you till today that help you with the investing journey now because now you sit on the other side and you're investing so you understand the entrepreneur uh, a lot better because you've been on on both sides of, yes. of the table so the learning experience in terms of uh just just the hardships that you had to go through to to overcome to to kind of pull through and 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 be successful by by the end of it 
okay, so if you're talking about my learning experiences from my entrepreneurial journey, mm-hmm. um, definitely, uh, definitely, it was <laughs> it was a crash course in uh, in uh, how to run a business, how to build a business, and all the ups and downs. Um, it was a completely different environment back then than it is today. When I was fundraising for my company in uh, in 2012, 2013, there were li- really no VCs. Uh, I think there were maybe a handful across the entire region. Um, there was no uh, startup scene per se. Like um, it wasn't it wasn't a big thing. Um, there was no accelerator. There were no accelerators, incubators, uh, p- programs as much as you have today. Mm-hmm. So I think we were all learning uh, as entrepreneurs, as investors, as stakeholders as well, government, everybody was building this ecosystem together. So I would like to say I'm kind of part of that first wave of, of entrepreneurs that that uh, had to do a lot of the learning uh, the hard way. And the, the journey continued. I mean, I had challenges uh, with hiring great people, finding great people at the time. Uh, especially on the tech side, right? Our region doesn't have an abundance of tech talent. Obviously, now it's changing, but um, it was very, very difficult at the at the time uh, to find the right people. Also, understanding um, all of the sort of um, the, the kind of governance type of thing uh, side of things. So, for instance, uh, what is a, what is an employee stock option pool? What is a vesting schedule with your co-founder? Um, things like that. Obviously, I had to learn it the hard way. Um, so lots of challenges um, throughout the way, uh, for sure. Hiring, mm-hmm. building team, fundraising throughout the journey was very challenging. Culturally, was challenging as well. The market. Um, I mean, I was one of the first people talking about freelancing, where really freelancing wasn't very much on the map here, at least in a formal capacity. Uh, there mm-hmm. was no platform for freelancers, so being first as well comes with with its own set of. Uh, set of challenges, so there were these cultural uh, uh, challenges as well. I don't know, there's lots. <laughs> now that you sit on the other side uh, of the table and are investing in startups, tell us a little bit about uh, your selection process, who you give time to, and how you find great ideas here here in the region. Mm. So so you, we do focus on the region, so anything outside of the region is, uh, is, out, of our, is out of our focus. Uh, we also focus on software companies, so anything that is not tech-enabled, let's say, is uh, is also outside of our scope. Um, giving time to the right people is is actually very very challenging. I tend to uh, speak to people that come in recommended. It's always easier to have um, someone vouch for an entrepreneur, uh, especially someone that I have a relationship with and I trust. Um, so I get leads from from other VCs. Uh, I get leads from obviously my network uh, with the podcast. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of exposure basically on uh, on what I'm doing. Even though I don't talk a lot about Spade Ventures on the podcast, but uh, I still get quite a little of uh, quite a bit of deal flow that way. Um, so, but always someone you know recommended is has like a higher priority. Sometimes people pitch me on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I do respond, but uh, you know I think the the likelihood of that turning into a meeting is very is very unlikely, unless they're really something building something very special. And I try to, uh, and I get a lot of emails, uh, and I try to put it on LinkedIn the other day. You know what's the best way to write an email to an investor, mm. uh, especially if it's like a cold outreach, because sometimes you get. 
emails that are super long and super lengthy and no one's going to read it. I'm not going to read it. So it, it's, there's, there's also, I think, an art of approaching somebody. And I think you need to think about it as if you would approach someone in real life. So if I, if I meet you and I want to pitch you, I'm not going to come and say, hi, Tari, you know, my startup is X, I'm making this, I have that, you know, I'm not going to sit and, and hold you for 10 minutes while mm. I throw data at you. And I think it's the same thing uh, through email or online. You need to kind of build somewhat a relationship or at least get an initial interest before you dump all the information on, a, on, a, on an investor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, so go back to your answer. I mean, uh, to your question, it's, it's mostly people from, from my, uh, from my network, mostly people who get recommended entrepreneurs that I've invested in that recommend other entrepreneurs. So it's a close knit, uh, kind of, uh, circle. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, um, in line with all the other people around the world that yeah. tell you, you know, you better work on an introduction. That's a much better a time invested than trying to go and cold outreach to someone. Uh, yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now there's a buzzword out there with AI for 2023. Mm -hmm. um, do you see the same kind of um, every startup turns into an AI startup and pitches you some kind of AI story? Or what, what kind of um, uh, yeah, deal flow do you see at the moment? Um, so I'm seeing definitely more deal flow with kind of AI enabled, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I had a discussion with Philip Bahoshi recently, he's the, the founder of Magnet on, on my podcast, and, and he said something which I found very interesting, like there's no really AI company per se. There are very few just pure AI companies. There is mm -hmm. a company that's AI enabled. Right, so they're leveraging artificial intelligence to get something done. Um, so, so you're de I'm definitely starting to see uh, more of that. We haven't, I haven't done any investments in uh, in AI yet. Well, in uh, you know, pure AI company. Uh, pure AI, yeah, for sure not. Mm. But uh, but um, we have some of our current com portfolio companies obviously leveraging AI a lot mm. and looking at ways to leverage it even more uh, in their operations and the way they serve their customers. But we haven't really, I haven't uh, made uh, investments recently in, uh, in uh, well, yeah, companies that are leveraging AI. Not yet, anyway. And what uh, sectors at the moment uh, interest you or do you, do you see a lot of interest or, or founders that are pitching in? Because, you know, you, you have the whole FMB yeah. kind of thing that went on for the last kind of Ketopian and, and the like. Yeah. Um, where, where do you see a lot of um, attention being put to at the moment by, by um, founders? Yeah. So, so when, when I look at investments, I also consider the, the types of people we have with us in the syndicate because there's a lot of like subject matter expertise uh, and, and we tend to kind of invest in, in industries where we feel that we can add value. Um, we don't like to be just uh, a check. Uh, we, we leverage the network to open a lot of doors and that's actually the value of, uh, of a syndicate. So for example, we have, uh, we have um, people in FinTech uh, within the syndicate. So we tend to, I mean, we've done most of our investments in FinTech, at least the, re the most recent investments. Mm -hmm. um, we do marketplaces. I mean, this is something you know I've I've built before, so I understand quite well. We do a lot of B two B, 
uh, type services uh, as well because we feel that throughout the network we can open doors we have access to government we have access to uh, enterprise companies etc so so everything where we feel we could leverage to you know to open doors is uh, is kind of where we invest so if i get something totally left field that i don't feel we can add any value uh, i would tend not to look at it I wouldn't even know how to DD it anyway. Uh, so I think something where I, where I understand as well is, uh, is, uh, is very important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You started talking about uh, your podcast. Yeah. And um, that is the next area where I want to talk about because your podcast, I mean, I, I've listened maybe to now. You, you're on 57. 57. Yes. I've probably done 15 now. Okay. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of value, especially when you're interested in the region and trying to understand the region and trying to understand what people have successfully done, the likes of Kareem and, and others that have been um, on the show. Tell us a little bit about your journey as a podcaster and um, where you see your podcast uh, kind of going next. Yeah, so the podcast was um, like kind of a COVID baby. Uh, so I just exited Nabish and uh, and COVID hit and uh, and there wasn't much to do, right? And um, and I thought I've been in the UAE for you know close to twenty years at the time. Uh, I've worked in you know I've had different careers uh, throughout throughout that time. I have a great network of people, and most recently I met with some amazing entrepreneurs. Uh, why not do something and and share insights in a way that is uh, a bit more casual and slightly more uh, uh, candid and less scripted than what you may find if you interview an entrepreneur on Forbes or on Arabian Business, where they have like certain talking points and they want to try to sell you their business. So the idea was... Um, I don't want you to come and talk to me about your business. I want to I wanna share insights. Initially, actually, I started with journeys, so entrepreneurial journeys. I kind of wanted to model it after uh, how I built it, uh, uh, which, is a, which is a famous podcast. And, um, and then I thought, you know, unless you have like a seriously amazing journey, and also it requires a lot of research on my end. So if I want to talk about your journey, uh, I probably need you know, a big team to research like your mm. background and figure out what happened because you maybe you're not going to tell me. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, so I thought it's probably not not the best format for me, especially as I'm doing, you know, uh, I'm kind of bootstrapping the podcast. and I'm doing it all on my own. So I moved into insights. So what I'm interested in today is like, tell me your thoughts about, you know, this topic or or your thoughts about this industry that you're in. Uh, or share some insights about how, how you grew your team from like A to B, how you fundraised, how you exited. So I'm more interested in, uh, yeah, insights that we can share, things that are actionable, that people can actually listen to and think, well, you know what, that's a great idea. I can maybe implement this in my company. And, and also the audience is not purely startups and entrepreneurs. So I do want to uh, kind of reach people in the corporate world who are looking to make that jump into, into entrepreneurship. So I try to make the language more accessible. So initially when I started, I remember, you know, we would be talking about like startup lingo and VC and I don't know what. And then my one day my brother writes me and he's like, what is a VC? And I realized, I'm like, okay, interesting. You know, mm -hmm. you, you would assume that everybody knows these terminology, but I am reaching a, a wider audience. Uh, so, so it needs to be simplified and explained. 
So now every time I have someone, um, you know, when it gets too technical, I try to like explain what the terminology means, etc. Um, so I want, you know, on my website, I, I say I want to inspire the next generation of leaders. And I think this is this is really the goal, whether you're an entrepreneur trying to scale, whether you're someone getting started looking for advice and whether you're someone who is in corporate who is looking to make that jump, hopefully you'll get inspired as well. That's that's really powerful. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's kind of how it evolved uh, over yeah. over the years. Yeah, I remember a, a LinkedIn post uh, where you asked whether you should do it in Arabic or not. Yes. And today I saw a LinkedIn post by Stephen Bartlett, who is the yes. diary of the CEO, who has released it in Spanish yes. using AI on Spotify. Yes. Um, are you still thinking about doing it maybe in Arabic? Uh, maybe will you use AI to do it in Arabic? What's, what's your thoughts? The challenge for me in Arabic is um, I know I know that it makes sense to do it in Arabic from a reach standpoint and from a you know a growth standpoint. Um, but also like I'm not doing the uh, in a way I'm not doing this so I can get the most reach. I'm doing this yeah. because I enjoy it. I'm doing this because I feel more comfortable. Uh, speaking in English, especially when we're talking about technical terms, which I find very like difficult for me to do in Arabic. Yeah, and maybe also the guests, right? I mean, they, they may not yeah. be Arabic speakers and it would be even more complicated. Yeah, so I explored this thing. I mean, should we do one in Arabic, one in English or depending on the guests or something? I mean, these are all ideas still at the table. I haven't ventured into Arabic yet. Uh, Every time I bring in a, a you know a guest from like an Arab descent, they speak English very well. So we kind of never really uh, had the the reason to do it in Arabic. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it's wrong, right? Maybe it's uh, it's excluding a lot of people that would otherwise benefit from it. But I also do feel like English is a very you know um, it's a universal language, and and a lot of people. I mean, I think if you look on. Uh, Google search trends like and, and keywords in Arabic uh, learn English is, is probably you know one of the highest uh, uh, yeah. most searched term in, in Saudi Arabia for example so yeah. uh, and there's a very successful podcast uh, on learning English yes I think so. I heard so I heard yes. that yes yes okay so uh, let's switch a little bit to someone for example that is still in the corporate world has an idea and has industry experience and mm -hmm. is kind of like on the fence of whether to go on this journey of becoming an entrepreneur what kind of advice would you give uh, someone like this i think it depends on where they are in their life as well i mean if if they are young er younger without a lot of responsibilities um, i think you know it's definitely worth taking a chance um, because you can always you know if if it doesn't work out you can always bounce back and do something else and you'll have a ton of a ton of experience um, definitely, I think your your financial situation is very important. So when I started Nabish, I used my savings to uh, to fund the company initially. Um, so are you willing to do that, or are you gonna go and uh, try to raise money uh, initially from uh, from day one? How how much 
sacrifice and pain are you are you kind of willing to put in it uh, keeping in mind that if you don't put any of your money investors might see it as a sign that maybe you're not so committed mm. uh, or maybe you're not so sure and you're kind of hedging your bets now of course some entrepreneurs out there will be upset and and tell me that you know uh, an entrepreneur should live and they should have the, a good life and, and all of that stuff i mean we've had many debates uh, on linkedin about this but i tell you from my experience it's like you really need to be willing to sacrifice a lot. Um, this is financial, obviously your time because you're gonna work much longer hours. Um, if you have a family, I think it makes it much, much harder uh, because I doubt that like really, really successful entrepreneurs, like really successful have great family lives. Uh, I, would, I would seriously doubt that. Uh, and again, it's not a recipe for success, but I'm saying it just takes so much. Um, um, what's the word? Not only commitment, sacrifice, mm. right? That uh, that you need to sacrifice so much basically to be able to to build this company. So as a person in corporate, who is, you know, on the IV drip of uh, salary, <laughs> and uh, insurance and bonus and uh, I don't know RSUs or whatever whatever you're making. Um, then are you, you know, are you willing to stop that and uh, and actually uh, live maybe a year or two without uh, without any of that? Can you afford it financially, uh, psychologically? Are you able to do that? Because also, you know, there's there's society, right? Like if you're a person in corporate, you probably have a certain lifestyle. You probably have certain friends. Maybe you drive a Range Rover. I don't know. So, are you willing to sacrifice this uh, this lifestyle? Um, and then, so this is just, these are like the basic things, right? And then comes, okay, you have industry expertise. What else do you need to build this company? What type of ex expertise do you need to bring in? Are you able to find equally talented people to come and co-found this thing with you? Uh, are you able to inspire people to come and join you on this journey as a team, even when you don't have funding in the early days? Uh, so these are all like very, very important. And of course, then, you need to be in an industry that makes sense with a growing market. Uh, so this, all the stars have to have to align to get to the point where you are talking to an investor. Because by the time you're talking to an investor, it means you've done a lot of things uh, in the right way. And if you're talking to an investor before that, it means if you're lucky, you're going to get funding, but highly unlikely, but you're going to get diluted. Uh, and uh, and most likely people would say, is he really or is she really uh, committed mm. uh, to this? I mean, you have to have skin in the game, right? And it's it's also again for the for the for the people that will jump on this and and be upset. It's it's proportional, right? So if your net worth is, I don't know, you know, hundred thousand dirhams, you know, maybe you're putting ten thousand, uh, mm -hmm. but but you need to have some kind of skin in the game. And yeah. your time alone is, is not enough. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, what do you think on uh, people that just pitch an idea? Because I, I presume that's most people pitching just an idea. Mm -hmm. And people that actually show you, you know, I've got some kind of traction, even if they just come with a very basic MVP or they've, they've done something beyond a pitch deck and, and an idea. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think I would sit with, with people who are just at, a, at an idea stage. We're, we're not an incubator uh, who, you know, incubators are usually those that will help you take that idea and kind of 
commercialize it in a way or another, build that minimum viable product and, and you know, get you from like A to B. Uh, um, but again, by the time you're talking to investors, you've, you've, you've probably done quite a bit of that. Uh, definitely you need some form of traction, right? So now uh, in this environment, uh, a path to profitability is very important. Revenue, I mean, a proper business model, you know, revenue generating business is very important. Uh, if you're not revenue generating, then you should at least know and have tested some revenue streams and you have a, a fairly good idea in terms of how you're going to be making money. Test all of your assumptions, the, the, the pricing, uh, what are you going to charge the customer, uh, how much is it going to cost you to acquire that customer. So there has to be some form of um, exercise, basically, that shows that I am able to get customers through these channels and it's costing me this much and this is how much I can make in return. Mm. Um, so revenue is very important. A path to profitability is very important. It's not like I am spending, you know, 10,000 to acquire a customer who's going to pay me five. Uh, so also that's that's very important. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, these... these um, you have to have a demo, obviously, some form of a product, right? You, because you need to be able to demonstrate that you are able to put a team together to kind of build this thing that you're mm -hmm. envisioning. It's not just an idea on paper. Validation uh, from early clients, early customers, right? If it's a B2B product, have you spoken to any companies? Have they expressed interest? Um, what did they say? Did they use it? Are they co-creating with you? Maybe you are like we met a company in Saudi. They are literally building an enterprise product with uh, a couple of enterprise clients. So they're kind of co-creating this together. So where what's the validation basically in terms of, uh, where's the demand, the validation of the demand? Um, team, super important. Who are your co-founders? Who is le your leadership team? What's their industry expertise? Where do they come from? Yeah. What's their track record? Yeah, I mean, this brings me to the next point. I mean, yeah. you, you said we're all, you called yourself one of the first wave kind of founders and yeah. we're probably now in the second wave. But the region is still lagging behind when you look at other kind of regions in terms of how many successful founders there have been and how many people have worked in the startup world. So um, ultimately, you probably get pitched by a lot of first-time founders and there's always this first-time founder risk element. Mm -hmm. How do you try to hedge your bet uh, there? You've kind of answered part of it in... in in your previous answer, but mm. w w how do you look at a f first time founder? Uh, with a lot of love and respect because I was a first time founder myself. So I think it's, you know, for someone to take that jump is very important, but you need, it's very important to, to, to kind of understand how serious this person is about, is about the startup. Uh, is it really, are they all in, um, how much, how much are they losing if, if this thing doesn't work? Uh, how committed they are? Again, their personal circumstances maybe uh, also play a role. Uh, where are they in their in their life? Um, again, their ability to build a great team, right? So maybe they're a first-time founder, but maybe they found some amazing co-founders that may have experience. Maybe they've built an advisory board that's amazing of you know of entrepreneurs that have uh, done it or some very kind of heavyweights when it comes to industry experts. Um, so I think there's there's ways you can um, um, you can hedge for that risk, right? So you can build a, a good advisory board. You can have a very good angel investor, for example, who also becomes an advisor. 
other co-founders uh, who have done it before, maybe some key people on the team and the leadership team that uh, may have experience in big startups uh, before. I mean, there are now quite a few big startups that have a huge alumni network, right? So I see it a lot today in Dex, uh, where you know you have co-founders, and let's say the the product guy is like ex Kareem or or something like that. So. Y y I mean, if you're smart enough, you're right, you'll find a way to build that 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 team that kind of covers for the fact that you don't necessarily have a lot of experience in founding businesses. Mm -hmm. And of course, your personal track record, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, Another thing that I picked up uh, by listening to a bunch of different uh, podcasts is that, um, you know, other VCs talk about a first-time founder will always focus on product and trying to add features and make the product as great as yes. possible. And a second-time uh, founder uh, looks much more at distribution mm -hmm. and you know how he can get uh, his ca his uh, customer acquisition costs lower and you know that kind of. How how do you see that here? Are people focusing a lot on product or mm -hmm. is the distribution because you know the UAE is a, is a fairly small market when you know 10 million people. Um, how, how do you think about the the, the trade-off or the, the thoughts behind product versus uh, distribution? I think as long as the product can do like the minimum functions that it needs to do, uh, I think that's acceptable. And then I think that the distribution is very important because finding a market for that product is extremely important. It doesn't... It doesn't matter if you've built this really amazing thing and, and no one's buying it or no one's using it or they want to use it in a different way and, and then you've already spent you know all your money building something that maybe no one wants to use or knows how to use. So I think, um, and, and that's you know the concept of lean, lean startups, right? So you have to build something like a very lean product, minimum viable product that does the basic functions that you need to do and then keep you know, iterating and building on top of that. Now, I agree, though, it's uh, that I think uh, first-time founders, maybe, yeah, I don't know if it's only first-time founders, but I do I do feel that sometimes, like, non-technical people would, would maybe think a lot about adding features if things are not working well. So so they may see, may see that it's not selling as it should or something like that, and then they tend to think, oh, well, you know, we need to add more features and... and uh, maybe maybe it will attract uh, different customers or something like that, um, and 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 obviously that goes against advice usually uh, that is given to to startups is that focus right focus on one feature build it do it really well um, and, and don't build a lot of like bells and whistles. There's a there's a great um, uh, there's a famous um, investor called Dave McClure. He used to come to the region a lot and uh, and basically he used to say you need to kill features. So if you've built a lot of features, just kill some of them that are useless um so yeah i mean it's i think distribution is very very important um understanding how you're going to sell to your customers where to find them how to acquire them how they're using the product i think that's that's much more important than getting um an excellent product basically out there uh, first i don't think it works that way unless again your product is like a you know, has a critical life or death type uh, application, right? So if you're in the medical industry mm. or or something like that, yes, obviously the product needs to be great. But if you're in a software business, I think life will go on. If if your uh, web uh, crashes or, or, you know, a page doesn't go where, where it's meant to. 
Okay, that makes it, yeah, iterating, 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 uh, makes a lot of sense. What are some of the red flags um, for you personally or for, for the syndicate where you say these are things I, I will stop and not invest in, in someone? Um, definitely, you know, the, the team is, is very important. Um, how many co-founders are there? And if there are no co-founders, right, like who is the leadership team? What does the cap table look like at that point in time? So, so how much equity do the main players have? How is it divided and, and distributed? I think that's that's very important uh, because that could tell that there might be trouble brewing like in the future. Um, I think that's that's uh, that's super important. So a red flag would be is if you feel that you know one of the co-founders is not like properly incentivized, but they're but they're more critical to the company, so uh, that would be that would be a red flag. Um, spending too much money on, in in areas that maybe doesn't necessarily uh, need to have that much money spent in um, high founder salaries, for example, I think is a flag, right? If you are trying to put yourself uh, a market rate or maybe even 20, 30% less than market rate, I still think it's a lot because going back to that skin in the game, right? I mean, what what, what are you sacrificing here? Um, what are red flags? I mean, who, who are you talking to in terms of investors as well? Did anyone invest? If not, then why? Um, that's, a, that's, that's a red flag. Uh, what else? How you deal with me right as I mean how does the communication go are you very pushy uh, what's your communication style like I mean that could also be a red flag because as a founder you are primarily selling your company all the time and if you don't know how to talk to people then it could be very challenging especially especially in the early days mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a very good answer um, it's all human aspects, you know, how people yes, deal with each Yes, because we're investing early, yeah. right? So, of course, I mean, again, uh, there are, uh, is it a big market? Does it make sense? Is the problem big enough? I mm. mean, if you tell me, I don't know, I'm building uh, whatever, uh, green plastic cups, right? Do, do mm. I really need to have this product? Is, is the... Is, is it the a problem? company that needs VC investment or is oh, it yes. just a company yes. could go on by itself? Yeah. That's a great point, actually, as mm. well. Yes. Um, and then, you know, you talked a lot about co-founders and, and kind of the team. What do you think now there's this whole low-code, no-code mm -hmm. uh, environment? I think there's a lot of non-technical people uh, out there um, that are thinking about maybe starting their own venture and then thinking about, oh, do I need a technical founder, especially mm -hmm. in a region where we're not known for having a lot of technical people. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see that whole uh, thing kind of playing out? Have you have you followed, you know, on GitHub, more than 60% of the code is now uh, kind of AI written and, and stuff. So yeah, what's your views on that? Yes, you need a technical co-founder. I think we're, we're not there yet, right? I mean, we're... Uh, we're we're not there where you can build a full product using uh, different AI tools and stuff like that. I think you really need somebody that understands uh, technology, understands uh, the, the, the how to build the right infrastructure, how to, again, I don't want to talk things I don't understand, but 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 basically I, I do feel that you need, uh, you definitely need the technical expertise, especially if you are, if you are a tech company. And if you have the wrong people, you're, you're screwed. I mm -hmm. mean, you, need, you really need to have the, the right person as well. Yeah. And then, um, you know, if someone then decides I want to raise money, um, you know, people obviously 
the, the the easiest thing to kill a startup is they they run out of money, mm-hmm. right? So the question that comes out of that is how much money should they really raise, right? What's your what's your viewpoint on that? Because I'm sure that you've seen some crazy stories. Um, yeah, so I think t- in, in today's environment, obviously things have changed a lot. So you you definitely need to raise as much as only as much as you really need, like the the and not more because. Actually, there's there's two kind of uh, thoughts at, at the moment, right? There's there's one thought that is, but again, this is not local. This is more global. Raise money to kind of have a runway all the way up to like mid 2026. So this was like Chamath Palihapatiya, who's a who's a famous mm-hmm. investor, and and he said things are going to be very bad. Uh, you know, high interest rates are going to persist. You need to have a cash cash runway till till mid 2026. So you need to be raising now. Um, there, there's also, you know, the other side of this is that raise, you know, as as much as you as much as you need and not more because you're probably not going to be able to raise at the same valuations that you did last year or the year before, and you're going to get heavily diluted. So, so do you want to take on that bigger dilution to build that runway, or are you close to profitability, or are you close, you know, to, to what they call like default alive? So, like the business basically becoming profitable very soon. And uh, and you only need like a million to get there, and therefore I will just raise that million uh, or a million plus like twenty percent again as a as a as a buffer. Um, I don't know. There's no kind of right or wrong. Uh, I mean, I know companies that we've invested in that are constantly fundraising, so they're 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 constantly trying to build that runway. I know a company that we invested in in the U.S. that raised a huge round. And luckily, actually, they did because you know they they can now weather the storm. So they raised it uh, beginning last year, I think, before kind of things really turned ugly. Mm. So now they have this long runway that they can uh, that they can use. But again, valuations in the U.S. are not like valuations here, right? So they were able to raise forty million dollars at a hundred fifty million dollar valuation. Mm. I think. I mean. If you can have, if you are able to raise that much money here, uh, then great. But I think it's mu- it's much more challenging. So I think the dilution would be much much higher. Yeah, um, you talked about a challenging environment. I want to give you a viewpoint on that uh, specifically. You know, 2023 globally uh, is a, is a difficult environment for for startups. Yeah. Tell us a little bit or give us some insights on on the region and and how it's playing out here. Yeah, so I think, yeah, globally, as you said, investments are, are on the decline. I looked at some numbers. I had a talk recently, and I, w- I just wanted to see the, the, the trend. So in, in 2021, uh, globally, you had uh, $766 billion invested in venture capital on a global scale. In 2022, that was 540 and so far in H1 2023, it's 174 mm-hmm. So we went from 700 to 500 to 174 uh, So definitely... Uh, in this part of the world, it's uh, it's the same. I mean, if you read the magnets report, the magnet reports, it's definitely down. I think uh, Philip was saying it's probably going to be uh, probably around like the 2019 uh, levels. So not a lot of money is going into venture. I think investors who have raised funds are uh, are not deploying as as much as uh, they need to. Um, even though there are, you know, opportunities potentially, there are probably a lot of companies in distress. I mean, 
Again, Philips said that they ran a survey over 8,000 startups uh, here in the region, and 15% uh, have shut down since uh, the past 12 months. Mm. So there is opportunity to potentially invest in or buy startups uh, at this point, but it's not really happening. Um, are the companies, uh, are the startups, in, you know, good enough for them to be uh, purchased or acquired? That's the, that's something uh, to consider. Um, but yeah, the 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 the, uh, the story is basically people are are holding are holding on uh, investing. Yeah. And uh, and I still think there's a lot of money in the region. So you have four of the top ten largest sovereign wealth funds in the world here in our part of the world that's around three trillion dollars uh you know in kind of assets and i know that there is a, a very big drive when it comes to governments trying to push entrepreneurship i mean especially in saudi arabia you see a lot and also in the uae um so why 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 aren't we seeing more money in the market is uh, is something that no one is able to answer i understand that for the funds that are trying to raise now, it could be a challenging environment because maybe, you know, limited partners uh, might be looking at other asset classes. But uh, but for those that have raised funds, I'm uh, not sure what uh, what is going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, personally, so you gave us a you know a Middle Eastern overview. Yeah. But personally, and and with Spade Ventures, what what's your um, kind of process at the moment are you still actively investing um so this year has uh has been super super slow um and the reason with us as a syndicate it's different right so so syndicate members are are individuals um so this is basically you know someone who is uh putting in you know a twenty thousand dollar check or or thirty thousand dollar check into into a vc and probably doing two or three investments per year. Um, so this this person obviously has, again, with 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 the current market conditions, right? Maybe people have lost jobs. Like we know, a lot of tech companies, for example, have let go of people. It could be their their payments have gone higher because the interest rates are higher. Uh, it could be that they're finding other ways to invest their money and get a more uh, lower risk uh, type return. I mean, you have a broker. Uh, brokerage firm, so you probably maybe see those trends. Mm -hmm. um, so not many people are interested in venture at this point. So and because I deal with like these accredited investors, but they're all individuals, um, I'm not getting a lot of traction. Basically, there's no, there's not much interest uh, on their part to invest. But again, it's different dynamics from a fund. Like in a syndicate, we are doing every investment uh, as a standalone investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you're a fund, you have these funds already. So, um, so, so we we are definitely much more impacted by what's happening globally. Mm -hmm. So it's been a super slow year, to be honest. And is that on the investment side, on also on the deal flow side, or just more in, in taking new investments? Yeah, more on the investment side. No, I mean we're still we're still seeing uh, deal flow. Definitely, there is yeah. uh, there's definitely a lot of deal flow. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs are still there they're still building things uh, but yeah more on the appetite so which is which is sort of interesting because usually the angel investors and like syndicates like us and for example like dubai angel investors we're sort of like the first you know first or second check in uh, in a startup mm. 
and and which is very crucial. Like before that startup has enough, you know, KPIs to be able to go to that uh, VC and and raise more money. So if we're like slowing down investments, then uh, then uh, it's it it's really worrying actually, and that's something that that worries me about the startup ecosystem here. Mm. And you know. We're probably in an environment where interest rates going to stay higher for longer. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see the rest of 2023 and kind of 2024 play out for for the region? Yeah, so I think uh, I think there there's still the ripple effect is still uh, still in process uh, at the moment. I don't think we have bottomed yet. Uh, Philip said we're at the bottom of an eight-year circle uh, cycle in uh, in VC. I don't know. I think you know. Time, time will tell. If you listen to what people are saying globally, people are saying next year is going to be terrible as well. Uh, same as same as this year. So maybe maybe even worse because there's there's talk that maybe the consumer, like the end consumer, hasn't been hit uh, as hard yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, I definitely think next year is going to be very very turbulent, uh, and it's going to be very very challenging for entrepreneurs. Especially those like the ones who are fundraising, uh, who are sort of in the very, very early f- stages. Maybe they can wait a little bit or you know pause things. But those that are like you know post Series C, post Series A, who are already building and need funding, I think it's going to be very challenging. That wasn't the best uh, note to end uh, the, the episode. So let's let's end it on on a positive. Okay. What are uh, what are the things that you would uh, leave an entrepreneur with? Uh, someone that is already with a venture and is going through these tough times. Yeah. Um, maybe something from your own kind of uh, times before where you struggle with all the similar things that they are struggling yeah. with. Yeah. Um, what kind of would you give as advice to to kind of hang in there and, and get through this? Hang in there. Uh, I mean, look, I, I said it in my talk in, in, uh, in Cyprus now that uh, failure is, 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 you know, is part of the journey, right? It's, uh, it's, and, and I say it now easily, but definitely it's not, it's not an easy thing, right? Especially as you go through it, but it's definitely part of the journey and it's going to happen. And, and if you zoom out uh, on your life and you will see it's just literally a, a small blip, a small moment in time, and then life goes on. I mean, I, I've, uh, I've faced a lot of challenges and every time I think this is the end and, uh, and I feel uh, very personally, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you're very personally invested, you're all in, right? If you were all in, which is how yeah. I was. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it's very painful, but it's it's normal and it happens. And I think you just need to understand that uh, sometimes there are external factors uh, at play that uh, you may or may not have control over, um, and that uh, you need to hang in there. But you also need to be smart, right? I mean, if you if your cash burn is very high and you are seeing all these signs and you're not doing anything about it, then obviously. Uh, no, then not hang in there. Then, uh, then you need to be doing something, right? Mm-hmm. If you, uh, yeah, I mean, if you see the warning signs and you don't do anything about it, then uh, obviously it's on you. But, uh, but yeah, you need to. It's again, it's part of failure. It's part of the journey. Nobody wants it. Uh, and maybe try to find if you're really in in, in deep trouble, like try to find uh, an exit opportunity or something. Uh, it's not a positive note. I don't know what to say. I no, mean, no, this was much more positive than the one before. But it is. I mean, you need to hang in there. And ultimately, mm. I think you have to have a clear conscience 
uh, and say, I've given it everything. I've done everything I can uh, to the best of my abilities yeah. and uh, and it didn't work. And then you're, you're, you know, then you should be okay. But if you feel that you didn't really give it your all, if you if you if you were slacking or if you didn't really give it a fair chance, then then it's on you. Yeah, that's a very good uh, last uh, talking point. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Tari. I wish you all the best for your podcast. Anyone that hasn't listened to it, go and check it out. Thank you um, so much. You'll take a lot of uh, great nuggets uh, away from from it for sure. Thank you. Thank you.